0: Alright guys, well if you have a copy of scripture this morning, I want to turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, uh, we're just going to spend some time in this amazing passage today. And uh, we have been looking at the last three or four weeks, we've been looking at uh, just a, I guess, a series that I've called Traces of the Chosen One. And we've just taken our time to trace the... Prophetic um, characteristics and qualifications of this this one and only. As as we begin to see the scriptures unfold, and and progressively, God kind of reveals more and more and more about who this particular person is this this Messiah, this chosen one, the long awaited, long expected Savior of the world, and how the prophets of old, you know, they could only see parts of the puzzle, They, they didn't have the complete picture. Now, we're able to look back on these things and see really the, the complete picture and just how beautiful this story of redemption is. And it always points us to one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is why we're here, and that's what this day is all about. And, and as I begin thinking about the purpose of Jesus and the birth of the Savior, I cannot help that. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. There's a beautiful picture or painting somebody drew one day. I, don't, I wish I had it to show it to you on the screen. You maybe have seen it before, but it's a picture of J, baby Jesus in a manger. And then he's, ca- there's ca- he's casting a shadow, and the shadow looks like a what? Does anybody know? A cross. So you see this little bitty baby, hasn't you know, just barely brand new to the world, but in the, in the shadow of that precious child is his purpose. He was born in the shadow of the cross. And, and I don't know any other way to put it, but that is truly the, the central message of Christmas, is that everything else aside, all of the joy and the peace and the hope and, and all of that is only made possible because of what that child came to do, and that he was born to die. He was born to die in the shadow of the cross. And Isaiah chapter 53 is perhaps the most comprehensive, the most the clearest the most, In my opinion, one of the most amazing passages in all of Scripture. Now remember, Isaiah is writing these prophecies some 700 years prior to the coming of this chosen one, prior to the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 700 years prior. And yet when we read this today, you are just going to see from beginning to end, this entire passage, this entire chapter, is, is cl- most clearly... Uh, describing to us the Lord Jesus Christ, this one who was come to die for the sins of the world. Now, what's interesting about Isaiah fifty-three? I thought I would share this just real quick by way of introduction. Is that if you're familiar with uh, the uh, the Jewish traditions, they read through the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They read through the Torah every year, so they have they have designated readings every single day, so that you're you're reading parts of the first five books of the Bible every single day so that by, by the year's end you've read through the entire first five books of the Bible called the Torah, right? Well, if, you, if you're a, a traditional and a devout Jew, you also would go to synagogue on, on, on Saturday, on Shabbat, and not only would they have the traditional Torah portion reading but then they also would have other parts of the Bible written maybe from the prophets or part of the Psalms or Proverbs or whatever it may be. So there's supplemental reading in addition to the Torah portion, every single week, okay? But if you're not reading the scriptures yourself, okay, the thing that's interesting to me is that in the schedule of uh, assigned readings every single year in the traditional Jewish synagogues, even to this day, you're going to get, you know, your Torah portions, you're going to get different specific writings and Psalms and Proverbs and, and different parts of the Bible, right? But there's one, there's several chapters, in the scripture that they don't read not one time throughout the whole year they skip over them now now you can you can get into a debate as to why they skip over these passages i'm not here to get into that debate now what is their motivation for simply just skipping over a chapter in the bible but it is very ironic guess which chapter traditionally is skipped over when reading through your annual readings in the jewish synagogues does anybody have a guess Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Now, again, I'm not here to get into the motivations as to why, but it has become known to be called either the forgotten chapter or the forbidden chapter. And I've seen some interesting videos. There's a, a one for Israel ministry. They go into Jerusalem. They go into the land of Israel. They interview people, man on the street, and they ask them, have you ever heard, or, and Now these are people who, are, who claim to be pretty devout Jewish people, And they'll ask them, they say, have you ever heard or read Isaiah 53? And most of them are like, no, I've never heard that. You know, I've been going to synagogue my whole life. I keep up with the Torah portion readings. I do all that, but I've never heard Isaiah 53. And as they read Isaiah 53 to these Jews, for the very first time, they hear this amazing passage. And guys, they are overwhelmed and blown away because they can't understand why they've never heard this before. So I think it's so very fascinating and so interesting that perhaps the most profound, prophetic, messianic prophecy in the Bible, many of the Jewish people in their lifetime will what? They'll never hear it. They'll never hear it. And I think I have my suspicions as to why that is. Because when you read this, and we're going to read it together in just a second, it's so clear. It can only be talking about who? Jesus Christ. Only one person. And that's what this whole series has been about. There's only one chosen one. There can be nobody else to fit the description and fit the profile and meet the qualifications for this Messiah. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Isaiah 53. I just want to read, uh, matter of fact, do me a favor. If you'll back up to Isaiah 52, because really the last portion of Isaiah 52, remember... Chapter breaks and and verses, those things were added in later by different scholars and scribes, and and they did a good job to try to give us these chapter breaks and verses, and I'm very grateful for that, but they don't always get it perfect. And so Isaiah 52, verse 13 is really where this prophecy begins. And it's clearly talking about an individual. Okay, and let's let's look at it together. I'm gonna read it and I'm just gonna share a couple of really just simple things that I want to point out to you today as we look at this Messiah. Who was born in the shadow of a cross? Isaiah 52, look at verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely, or he will prosper. He shall be high and lifted up, he shall be exalted. As many were astonished as you at you, excuse me as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, really beyond recognition, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Now let's just stop right there and think about that. We know that Jesus suffered on the cross, but what did he have to endure before going to the cross? He was beaten, right? He was whipped beaten, punched in the face, plucked his beard out. The thing here we see in Isaiah 52 is that we see that this servant, this chosen one, the one that we're all looking for, the one that we're expecting, the one that that, that they're looking to come to be the Messiah, to be the chosen one, to be the Savior, is going to be something that's going to be completely marred about his appearance. He's going to be beaten and bruised and broken so badly that if you were his friend or his family member, you could not even what? Couldn't even recognize him because his face was so disfigured. This is, this is what Jesus went through physically. Just part of the physical suffering that he went through. Look at what it says. It says, so shall, he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For that which has been told to them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Verse, verse 1, chapter 53. Continue reading with me. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant or a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. You know, we talked a little bit last week about the root of Jesse, the righteous branch. You know, we we see that imagery here again. Now look at what it says in verse 2. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was just an ordinary what? An ordinary looking man. Right? He didn't come from heaven all oh, with all the pomp and circumstance and oh, look at me, worship me, I'm God and, and I'm going to just show myself so powerful and full of glory and all this kind of stuff. He came just as a normal ordinary man looked like, just like anybody else on the face of the planet. He didn't necessarily stand out in a crowd. This is our Jesus. This is the chosen one. Look at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, and although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. What an amazing passage! I mean, again, this is, I mean, it, you guys know me. I mean, You could take this one chapter and probably preach an entire year on it just in, in and of itself. But, but if, you, if you pay attention to this amazing chapter, the thing that just jumps out to me is that this chapter, Isaiah 53, it is the gospel. It is the gospel. It is the, one of the clearest pictures of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We know who fulfilled this. It was Jesus. He is the one who came to fulfill it. And when the Apostle Paul was writing his letter to the church in Corinth, he says, listen, that which was given to me, what was delivered to me, I want to also pass it on to you. And he says, this is the good news of the gospel. This is what Paul tells us. And he, tell, he defines what the gospel is. He says that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was what? Buried. And on the third day, he what? He rose again according to the scriptures. Now, Paul's telling us that this gospel, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is according to the what? The scriptures. Well, what scriptures could he possibly be talking about? Now, we, there's tons of different text and passages in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament that point to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but none, in my opinion, so clearly than this right here, Isaiah 53. You know the Apostle Paul had this in mind when he was thinking about the gospel, that there's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So I'm just going to share with you just a couple of uh, brief points this morning, just that we we can maybe contemplate what this whole season is all about. What this, what this entire Christmas message is really about. So the first thing I want to share with you guys is that as we look at this passage, we look at Isaiah 53, this forgotten passage, the one that we should most definitely remember. The first thing is that the chosen one, this, this Messiah, he would be forsaken, listen, by God, okay, for the sake of all mankind. Forsaken. For whose sake? For our sake. Totally abandoned to go through this suffering that he had to go through. He had to go through this alone, and he did it for our sake. Listen just to to how the language of Isaiah 53 uh, really describes the, the purpose of Jesus. It says, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was despised. We did not esteem him. He took on our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, struck down and afflicted. And verse 10 again, it says it was the Lord's will or the father's will to crush him, to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And you begin to see this this relationship between the father and the son, how, how they had this this agreement, they, they had already come to this agreement before the very foundation and creation of the world. This is something that we do understand about the good news of the gospel. The gospel, the coming of Jesus is not plan B for God. It's not like God set things up in the garden and gave man, you know, this wonderful opportunity for a relationship with him. And then Adam and Eve blew it and God stepped back and said, oh, man, I wasn't expecting that. What am I going to do now? That's that's not how it works, right? Before God even created Adam and Eve, before he even created the, the universe itself, guess what was in his heart and his mind? It was this. It was the good news of the gospel. It was that the son would go and he would be forsaken for the sake of all mankind. That's God's plan A. That's his original plan. And when we think about it in those terms, we understand that the heart of God is is just something that, in my opinion, is just very difficult for me to fathom. How the Father would be willing to give His own Son and how the Son would be willing to go through that for us. Does anybody remember what Jesus said from the cross? There, I think there are seven different sayings that he, that he verbalizes as He's actually hanging from the cross in His very last hours. But one of the most powerful and profound to me is that the Lord Jesus, hanging from the cross, What does he say? He says, My God, my God, why have you what? Why have you forsaken me? Now there's two purposes in that. Number one, I do think Jesus felt alone. He knew that He had to, He had to suffer alone. He had to taste death alone. In other words, nobody can die for you in in that sense. You've got to go through that yourself. And Jesus had to had to go through this suffering himself. He had to bear the cross. Alone. Nobody else could do it for him. Only Jesus could drink the cup of suffering and death. And that is why he did feel in that moment, he said, why, God, have you forsaken me? So there is part of his humanity crying out to the father at that moment and saying, why, God? You know, he prayed that in the garden, right? If you can take this cup from me, Lord, if there's any other what? If there's any other way. Just take this cup from me. But then he turned around and said, but not my will, Father. What? May your will be done. I'm willing to go through this. Because I know there is no other way. If there was any other way, I think God would have done it that way. This is the only way, right? But there's another part of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me that I think a lot of people miss. Most people don't understand that that is the very first line in another messianic prophecy in the book of Psalms, Psalm 22. Now, back in Hebrew days, back in the ancient days, they did not have chapter breaks and verses. So how would you identify a beginning of a new psalm? You would call it out by its first what? The first line of the psalm. So when Jesus hanging on the cross, he goes and he begins to quote Psalm 22, which just so happens to begin what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Any other hearer who was familiar with the scripture of that day, they would have heard Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And their minds would have immediately gone back to Psalm what? 22. They knew what he was saying. And if you go, we're not going to read it this morning, but if you go and read Psalm 22, guess what it describes? It describes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Again, one of those messianic prophecies that nobody else could fulfill. So what was Jesus doing? He was on the cross and he was saying, This is being fulfilled in your hearing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's happening. I'm the one that Psalm 22 was written about all these years later. But at the end of the day, we see that Jesus was willing to do this alone. And he was willing to do it. This is what's amazing to me. He was willing to do it for your sake. And he was willing to what? Do it for my sake. And it was for the sake of love. It was truly for the sake of love. We know that the motivation for Jesus coming in the flesh and going through everything that he went through, it is truly the motivation of divine love, unconditional love, perfect love. That's why this whole time, this whole season truly should be a time to reflect on the love of God. For God so loved the world that he was willing to give. He gave his son. Romans 8 says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? In other words, guys, listen to me. God's not holding back on you. I think that's one of the misconceptions that we think, okay, if I, you know, I'm out here in the world and I kind of like my life. And, you know, if I have to go and, and turn around and give my life to God, then he wants to take all these fun and good things away from me. Is that how God works? God wants to give you good things. The world only gives you temporary things. The world only gives you things that can fill you for a moment that at the end of the day leaves you feeling empty, and you gotta keep going back to the world. You gotta keep going back to those things to get that satisfaction, but it leaves you feeling what? Empty inside. God says, I want to give you all good things. This is who our God is. And the and the foundation of his relationship with you and with me is he loves us. That is the, that is the, the foundation of our relationship. He loves us, he wants to give us every Good and perfect gift and it says nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus what a what a promise now there is something about this I want to say is that if God had done nothing else for you and me but to give his son on the cross if he had never done another thing he has done more than we could ever imagine or deserve amen what more could he possibly give but He does give more. That's my point. He does continue to give us more. He does continue to give us grace and mercy and goodness and provision and all the things that He gives us on top of everything else He's already done. But if he's sending Jesus into the world to go to the cross was the only thing that God ever did for us, that would be enough. Amen? Amen. That would be sufficient. He gave everything when He gave His own Son. And so we see the, the purpose of Jesus, and now let's talk about just the simple elements of the gospel, okay? Remember, according to the scriptures, Jesus Christ, he died. So he, he would bear the punishment, okay? This is the chosen one. He would bear the punishment for our sins, and he would suffer the death penalty that we deserve. So all of this, all of this language in Isaiah 53, I want you all to pick up on this Now, I'm going to read some verses to you just kind of going back through Isaiah 53. And I want you to hear every single time the word our or we is used, okay? Because when we think about this being spoken in terms of our benefit or we are the beneficiaries of this, then that applies to who? It applies to us. It applies to you and me today, right? So think about this. Listen to how the scriptures talk about how Jesus came to die in our place, to take the penalty we deserve, to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Listen to what it says. Surely he took on our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows. He carries our sorrows. He carries our burdens. But he was pierced for our transgressions. What does that tell you? That there was a price to be paid on the cross, and he had to go to the cross to be pierced for who? For us, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are what? We are healed. What an amazing promise. I want to I want to just camp out here for just a second. I love Is Brother John still in the house? Yes, sir. I love what Brother John says. I, you know, I've gotten so much wisdom from him over these years. And one of the things that has stuck with me ever since I've been here, he says, everybody is hurting. Everybody. We may be hurting in different what? Ways. But everybody is broken. We may be, we may be hurting psychologically. We may, be, we may have a broken identity. We may be hurting financially you may be hurting mentally suffering with some type of you know stress or being overwhelmed or being depressed or whatever that may be we may be hurting spiritually we may not know but spiritually we're just bankrupt or maybe we're just far away from god or maybe there's sin in our life that's really got us you know, uh, alienated from our Father, so we may be hurting spiritually, or we just may be hurting physically, right? So all of these different ways. So I want to challenge us this morning to look at this. What the Bible says about this coming one, Jesus, is that by his wounds, by his substitution in our place, we are what? Healed. Healed, okay? Now that poses a big question. What does that look like? I just want to be honest with you. I want to share this testimony. Uh, many of you know, maybe you don't, but we have we had a dear, sweet sister go past to be with the Lord yesterday, Miss Beth Ellis. Beth and Chuck, members of our church, Miss Shirley, is here, and Dick and their family is hurting right now. And Beth struggled with cancer. And she suffered for many, many, many weeks. And I talked to Beth many, many different occasions. And she was hoping. They were doing treatments in Little Rock. And she was hoping that these treatments, and going through all of the the, uh, stem cell stuff, and all the new experimental stuff that they were doing, she was hoping that she would be what? She would be healed. And we prayed for healing. And she had moments where she was encouraged and thought, maybe I'm getting better. Maybe I'm in remission. She went through remission for a while, but then the cancer came back. And then eventually, she went downhill very fast. We lost her yesterday on Christmas Eve. But here's the thing I want to remind you. Beth Ellis today is what? She's healed. And people are like, oh, well, you're just saying that to use that as a crutch. You know, oh, yeah, she died. So, yeah, that's the way you're just turning things around and saying, well, God healed her through death. But the reality is every single one of us is going to what? We're going to die in this condition. There's no way around it. We're going to have to walk through that door. And so the, the question is not whether or not we're going to die is what's going to happen on the other side. If we're spending eternity in the presence of the Lord and we have the hope of heaven and we know that eternal life is a free gift that we have received from God, yes, even though Beth Ellis died of cancer yesterday, she is now today very much what? Alive. And she's healed. She is totally healed. No more sickness, no more cancer, being in the presence of the Lord because she was in Christ and Christ was in her. That's all that matters. So yes, are we going to suffer in this life? Yes, are we going to go through struggles in this life? Absolutely, absolutely. But the problem—I mean, the, the promise that I want to share with you today is that by His wounds, because of what Jesus did, we are what? We are healed. If you have struggles in your in your mind, He gives you peace. If you're emotionally broken right now, He will heal your broken what? He heals your broken. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to flood our souls with His perfect and unconditional love is everlasting love so that no matter what we go through what we struggle with in this life we know beyond a shadow of a doubt god i don't understand everything that's happening to me but i know that you still what you still love me Amen. we still love me you love me you proved that that's what this whole passage is all about god's love proved on the cross for you and for me so we are healed by his wounds what an amazing blessing. What a, what a promise of God. Now, let's go ahead and continue as we, we look at the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And so He took our place, right? And all that means, guys, is listen, we owed a debt to God. Listen to me. We owed a debt that we could never what? I mean, we couldn't work for a million years and pay off our sin debt to God. It just didn't work that way. There's no way we could have earned our salvation or paid it off somehow or done enough good things to make up for being a, a lawbreaker and a transgressor and all those kind of things. So we had to, some, had to have someone come and pay our debt for us. And that's where Jesus comes in. You, paid our debt. We also were facing the death penalty because the wages of sin, if you want to be honest about what we deserve, what do we really deserve? What's the wage? What are our wages? Death. Death. The wages of sin is death. And all have sinned, therefore all will die. That's, That's what it is. So Jesus said, I'm going to come and take that penalty, take that punishment in your place. And that is exactly why he was willing to go to the cross and to die. What an amazing promise. And then we see right here in this passage not only do we see the death of Jesus, but we see his burial. Now, it's easy to skip over the burial, right? The death and the resurrection. That's what we like to talk about a lot. There's the death and there's the what? The resurrection. But guess what? There's no resurrection without the the burial. His His physical body had to be put in a tomb, an identifiable tomb, by the way, so that there was no... Uh, shenanigans going on, right? They, 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 maybe somebody, you know, changed his body out with somebody else. You know, there's, there's all these different theories about how did Jesus, you know, how did the disciples pull off the biggest hoax in history? You know, somehow they switched his body with somebody else, or somehow, you know, it was, it was a big, you know, conspiracy, and the disciples were just making all of these stories up. But none of that stuff holds water, guys. There was a legitimate tomb. There was a man who came to get the body of Jesus. We know Nicodemus. And Joseph of Arimathea, two very wealthy men, came to get the body of Jesus, and they already had what prepared for him. They had an empty what? Empty tomb that no one else had ever used before. Very important, a very identifiable tomb. In public, everybody knew where the tomb of Jesus was. Matter of fact, the Jews and the Romans were so concerned about it, they put two what? Guards there to guard the tomb, just to make sure nothing would happen, right? Now, listen to what Isaiah 53 says. It's amazing. He says in verse 9, it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence nor any deceit was in his mouth. Now, if you look at Matthew 27, there's a little detail about the burial of Jesus. It would just so happen that this is a direct fulfillment of this prophecy. Matthew 27, listen, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself was a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate to ask for the body, and Pilate gave the body over to him. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in a new tomb that he had cut into the rock. Then they rolled the stone across the entrance of the tomb and went away, and that is the... um, The fulfillment of Isaiah 53, nine, he was assigned a grave. He was buried. And it's so very important that we understand that the, that the physical death of Jesus. Okay. The burial verified his physical death. Very important. We understand that Jesus literally physically died. He had no pulse, right? He was declared dead. But his his physical death was verified so that his resurrection could be validated. And that's what's so very important about the burial of Jesus Christ. So right here in Isaiah 53, what do we have? We have the death of Christ, dying in our place, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, dying for sinners. We have the burial. And then what do we have? And we have the resurrection. Look at what it says in Isaiah 53, verse 10. So we know he was cut off from the land of the living, but then it goes on to say in verse 10 and 11, it says, yes, it was the Lord's will to crush him. He made his soul a guilt offering, but then it goes around and says, but he will see his offspring. Now, Jesus died without having ever been married. He never had any biological children. And yet this passage is telling us he's going to be cut off from the land of of the living, never having any biological children, and yet he's going to see his what? His offspring. Who in the world could that be? It's you. It's me. It's the spiritual children of God that have come to believe in this one who now gives us the right to be called sons and daughters of the king and brings us into relationship. What an amazing promise to be children of God, that we are the offspring of God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it continues to say, he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand and after the anguish of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. What what are we talking about here, guys? After he is cut off from the land of the living, he is crushed for our iniquities, he is put in a grave and yet he is still going to see the light of life through the power of what? Through the power of the what? the resurrection through the power of the resurrection of the dead and so guys right here in Isaiah 53 we have everything that we need to be affirmed and encouraged and reminded of who Jesus Christ is the chosen one what he came to do demonstrating love to you and me In that while we were still sinners, this is one of the most amazing amazing passages to me in Romans 5. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still what? Still sinners. What did Jesus do? He died. Now think about that for a second. If God were to wait around for us to get our lives together, to get our acts straight, before he was willing to send Jesus into the world, then how long would he be waiting. He'd still be waiting. But that's not how God operates. He's like, I know you're a mess. I know your life's full of sin. I know you got all this fear. I know you got all these problems. I know you got all these struggles. I know that. That's, he loves us. This is the beautiful thing about love. Love is loving somebody in spite of all that. That's what love is. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's easy to love people when they what? When they love you back. That's, that's, that's easy. No problem there. It's hard to love somebody when they're not real what? Not real lovable. Guess what? That's all God's working with. He's looking at us and he's saying, man, these people, they're not very lovable. But he didn't wait around for us to get our act together. He said, I got to go save them. I got to go get them. I got to go to them because they're never going to make it to me. That is the story of Christmas. That is the story of divine love that God was willing to do all of that so that we could become his children, so that we could become the offspring, spiritual sons and daughters of God. What an amazing blessing that is. So guys, that's really all I I wanted to share with you this morning. I know that I could keep going and going and going, but I know today is a special day, and I just want to share one more application to you, and I'm going to ask our praise team to come up because we are going to sing one more song we're actually going to sing a song that really is quoting just about every verse in this, in this chapter. So it's it's going to be a really good fitting song for us to close with. But but I want to just encourage you with, with one more simple application. What are you going to take away from this message? Isaiah 53, one of the clearest explanations of the gospel that you'll ever hear. 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. The gospel right here wrapped up in this one passage. And so as we go, here's all I want to challenge you with. The first thing I want to say is this. This is a time of gift giving. Christmas time, exchanging gifts. Some of you have probably already done that. If you are here today and you've never received the free gift of eternal life, if if you've never known and experienced what it means to say, God, I know you love me. I know, Jesus, you died for me. I know you have given me the opportunity to be forgiven of my sin. I know that you want a relationship with me. And, Lord, all I have to do, it's not complicated, it's not simple. You you? want to tell you, Let me tell you how simple it is. You wake up with your children on Christmas morning, and they walk into the room with a bunch of gifts. Do you have to tell them what to do? You don't have to tell them what to do. They know exactly what's about to go down. We're about to open up some gifts, right? It's very, very simple. God is saying, I have given you this gift. His name is Jesus. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to change your life. He wants you to experience joy. He wants you to know what it's like to be a son and daughter of God. But the one thing we must do, guys, is what? We've got to receive and accept the gift. If you leave the gift on the table, if you walk away from the gift, guys, the gift is still good. You just haven't accepted it and experienced it. So some of you today, and there may be some watching from home, I don't know, but you're here today, and you might just need to say, Lord, I've never received the gift. I've never really truly trusted you and put my faith in you. Today is the day. What a greater day than Christmas morning than to receive the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so as we receive God's gift, maybe you need to reaffirm that today. Maybe you've, you've kind of taken that for granted for a little while. Maybe you, you, you are a believer. Maybe you are in the, in the family of God, but you've just, you've just kind of drifted away from the Lord. This is a great opportunity for you to come back and, and appreciate that. Appreciate what God has done for you. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I've, I've drifted from you. I've, I've distanced myself from you. I want to get close to you again. Maybe that's where you need to be. But at the end of the day, the one thing we all can do is that we can rejoice. We can rejoice and give thanks for this indescribable gift that comes to us Amen. as the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So what we're going to do, guys, I'm going to make my way back up to the piano. I want to say a prayer for you. And we're going to sing one more song together. And I just want to leave this opportunity for the Lord to minister to you wherever you are. You might need to pray where you are. Maybe you need to pray for someone else. Maybe you need to be that person today that it's ready to receive the gift. I got Brother John coming up here. He's always great to talk with you, to counsel with you, whatever it may be. As a matter of fact, Brother John, I'm going to ask you, would you lead us in a prayer right now before I get myself up here? I'm going to let Brother John pray for us, and then we're going to sing one more song together. Heavenly Father, <laughs> most accurate sermon I ever heard. It's laid out there. Jesus did it. We can be free. We can be, uh, uh, in his eyes, guilt free because of Jesus dying to forgive all of our sin. Paid that price for all. And so there's nobody out of reach. There's nobody out of reach. So Jesus, you have your way and will this morning. We thank you for Jesus. Amen.